We're going to jump back into Galatians this morning. And we're going to look at what I just prayed about. And it's, it's something that we, we want an answer to. And I'm, I'm going to tell you right now that it's something that you have to work out. You know, the Scriptures tell us that we need to work out our own salvation. It doesn't mean that salvation by grace changes. You have been saved by grace through faith. And we'll get there at the very end. But you have to work out what that looks like every day. To help others understand where you're at. And, and to apply the gospel to your life. And work out how the law fits in there. Because they're all part of the plan. They were all part of the plan from the beginning. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, right? But to fulfill the law. So nothing changed from the beginning to the end. It just looks different to us because we want it segmented, right? We want to know how does this fit with this and how does that fit with this and, and how does it all go together. And, and life is much more fluid than that, isn't it? <laughs> if we're honest with ourselves, that rarely happens. That it, that it all just lines up and you go, man, that makes sense. A lot of times we're left with more questions than answers and so I thought it'd be good to start with a couple of questions. <laughs> How do we balance our actions, our behaviors, with the grace that's given to us in our life? How do those two things balance out? How do we understand how our attitude towards sin should change and change our behaviors, not our behaviors change our view of sin? Does that make sense? We cannot change anything in our hearts by behaving a certain way. So how do you balance out your actions? How does the, the overflow of what the gospel in your life, how does that fit with the law and how you behave and how you act? And the question that I want you to answer, and I kind of come back to it at the very end, and I want you to be thinking about this as we go through this. Are you living in response to the most generous gift? Are you living in response to that most generous gift? Or are you attempting to be good enough to earn it? Ben touched on this last week, right? The stool, and, and then a man stands on top of the stool. He has faith to trust the stool, but then he stands on top of it to reach. He's still trying to get something more, right? When faith is right here. <laughs> it's there. So are you attempting to achieve it, or are you just acting and living out the response to the gospel in your life? What does that overflow of your heart look like? So today we're in Galatians chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 15 is where we're going to start. If you're following along there, if you see it on version, you'll see that, that we're going to look at several chunks. And I've tried to weave in some of the Old Testament as well because we need to understand some of these words and some of this verbiage for our own sake to make sense of it in our mind so that our heart can then act on it. So Paul tells... The believers at Galatia, he says, Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. 
If you're looking for how the law fits in with your new gospel life, I want to take an example from everyday life. And just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say to to his seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, that the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends upon the law, then it is no longer depends upon the promise. But God in His grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. So we first have to understand what the promise is or what the covenant is. What's he talking about? How can the law replace the covenant or the promise? And, and what is that? And we've looked at it in the past. We've studied it a little bit. But there's this promise that's made to Abram, right? Genesis chapter 12, it shows up. Chapter 15, it shows up. God talks to Abram and says that I'm going to bless you I'm going to curse those who curse you, and I'm going to make a blessing of you to the whole world. Somehow through Abram's seed, the world is going to be changed. And that was the promise that God made with Abram in establishing that covenant with Abram. Abram didn't even understand it all the time. He struggled with it. He struggled to understand what it meant to have this promise from God, this covenant, like you're telling me that you're going to bless the world through my seed, and yet I don't have any children is where he's at in Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, Abram kind of calls God on the carpet. He's frustrated. He's like, I've been waiting, and now, right, we know Abraham ends up having a child in his old age. We know the story, but Abram's living it. He's 85, 90 years old. The clock is ticking. And most of you are thinking, it's way past ticking. (laughs) But Abram says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram says, I've heard that before, right? He says, Sovereign Lord, what what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and, credited to, and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
So the promise that God made that Paul is talking about is one that, that out of Abram's line, the world is going to be changed. There's coming something out of his seed. And we'll get there why it's a singular in a minute. But you need to understand that Abram was human too, right? And up until this point, he was really struggling. There were days when he would get out of bed and he would look at his will which is what a covenant was at that time. And he would say, Lord, this is the covenant I have, and it has to name Eleazar as my next of kin. Because I have no kids. Because you told me in your covenant over here, I was going to have kids. The two don't line up. And he's frustrated. He's saying, Lord, I want to believe you, but... I need a kid. Right? And isn't that where we struggle every day, right? It's faith. That leap of hearing what God says to be true and seeing it play out in my daily life and there's a gap in the way we see it. Finally, God says, listen, this guy's not going to be your heir. Calm down. (laughs) Walk outside here with me and look up at the stars, and I'm telling you, you're going to have more descendants than those stars. You're going to be a blessing to more people than you can count. And after that interchange... Abram's heart obviously changes. In my opinion, this is where the faith of Abraham becomes real. Because it says he believed. He really took it for what God said it to be. He believed it and embraced it and made it part of who he was. And then God credited it to him as righteousness. He didn't earn it. Don't misunderstand what the language says there. He gave him a credit of righteousness. God still gave him righteousness. He didn't earn righteousness. He had to come to faith and God said, I'm going to count you righteous. I'm going to credit you. I'm going to give you out of my reserves enough to be righteous. I'm going to credit it your faith as righteousness. The promise that came to Abram is the same one that changed us. It wasn't laid aside because of the law coming in. You need to understand the promise first, right? We've got to look at this covenant and the promise. Then we've got to look at the law, which is next. We have to see what does it have to do with, because we're looking at all of time in totality. In this one passage, Paul is saying, I'm going to take you back to Abram, (laughs) and I'm going to bring you to Jesus in a few verses. And for us, we're going, man, I don't even understand. There's the promise, there's the covenant, there's the will, there's the, 
the law, there's grace, there's faith. Where does all of that line up? And they run concurrent. They run right along with God's plan. The promise was part of God's plan, and the law was part of God's plan. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God. So why did I ask you if you're living in response to the generous gift or trying to earn it? Because Abram had to understand that too at the very beginning. For him to come to faith, for him to start what we know now as grace through faith, he had to believe the promise of God. And it had to be credited to him as righteousness from God. And that promise was not set aside by the law. That didn't change anything. When the Ten Commandments come to Moses, when all of the the Deuteronomic laws are are articulated and you read through all of those things, and we're going to look at some of those today just because I want to give you some context, none of that stuff set aside the promise. It was part of helping us understand the promise. Abram was told by God on more than one occasion, but he struggled to have faith. That's nothing new for humankind. To be told over and over, just trust me. And yet to struggle in reality that what God says is true. The promise is real, and it's been given to you through Jesus. And we're going to get there in a minute. Verse 19, the law. Because Paul goes on now to explain and talk about, okay, you understand the covenant given to Abram. He was set aside and there would be one seed. Then why then was the law given at all? Because that's your next question, right? Everyone's thinking it. Well, Why do I need the law if I already have a promise that I'm going to be saved. What does it do? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not, Paul says. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Again, he visits that word believe that was so important in Abram's journey, right? To really believe it. To commit yourself to something you believe in is critical. The law then. We'll look at it as a guardian as one of the ways it's described. Why do we need the law? And he changes 
the verbiage here just so you understand that, that sin was always present. But law allows us to know when we have transgressed, when we've gone across the line, right? The law puts our activities and behaviors into an easier perspective for us to see. It also, therefore, condemns us because we know the good we ought to do, but we don't do it sometimes. And so the promise doesn't go away because of the law, but the promise becomes more real because of the law. It becomes vivid to us to understand that even though I transgress, I believe in Jesus, that's where we stand today, I can count my faith as what gets me back to God. My sin is what keeps me away from God and that promise, and now I have a way of seeing it and understanding it. I've been separated from God. The reason this is important, especially in today's day and age as well, is that this lays out some absolutes. Understand that our world needs some guidelines, right? We'll go back to what we talked about at the very beginning of Galatians and our need for a Savior is based upon the big theological term, total depravity. That if we are left to our own devices, we can think up some pretty harsh ways to treat one another. And it's lived out every day in our world. Generally speaking, we err toward that side a whole lot more than being good to each other. What the law does then is codifies, it sets out some of the expectations so you can understand and identify what it is that God views as right and wrong. And our world predominantly follows Scripture in its law. <laughs> it wouldn't want to acknowledge it, but where does it come from? <laughs> let's, let's just look real quickly. Exodus chapter 22, verse 1. I'll read it. This is, just, this is just one that I thought you would enjoy. That if someone steals an ox or sheep and then kills it or sells it, the thief must pay back five oxen for each ox stolen and four sheep for each sheep stolen. That's very specific. Have you ever heard of the word restitution? It's in Exodus chapter 22, right? The idea that we live somehow outside of, of God's law and yet, if you read the codes that we live by, I can take you to almost every one of them in Scripture. Because they were determined by the Creator of the world, not the creation. 
Therefore, we needed to understand from God, right? How were we created? How is it best for us to work with each other? How is it best to treat each other? How do we know not to kill each other? Who told us that was wrong? He was in my way. If I were a king, right, I'd be worried. Because for generations after generations, my brother's trying to stab me in the back. That's how we oriented ourselves humanly. And God says, that's not right. Here's what is best for you. Here's the law. Here's the way in which you can help understand your sin. Because we are sinful. You understand, the law doesn't make us sinful. We are sinful, period. Or we wouldn't need the promise of Jesus. So by nature we are sinful, and under the promise we're cared for. The law just reveals it to us and helps us go, I get it. I see it. I understand. You you said this is not good, and you're right. (laughs) That was not good. (laughs) Most times when we look back and we understand, God only wanted our best in mind. (laughs) He had our desires way out in front of us. Our short-sighted vision of what our lives could look like. God understood it by saying, you're going to be taken care of by the promise, but you're going to need some help. And so here are some guidelines. And the best illustration I've ever come up with is a guardrail. You go down over 56 Mountain towards Pleasantville, in the fog, your best friend is that guardrail, right? Right? And that's what the law and these rules are. We we don't set them up as a church or, or as humankind. God says these are things that keep you from hurting yourself. These are things that keep you out of areas that are detrimental to your life, to your behavior, to your relationships. Start to view the law and the way God designed us as protective That He puts up boundaries to help us understand how to treat each other. The promise underlies that. We've been given that promise that we'll be delivered one day, but the law helps us see it every day. We're like, you know what, Lord? I know that You were looking out for me because I read Your Word and it said not to do this, and I didn't, and man, am I glad. (laughs) The law is a way of reading into our world, making some judgments. And the problem is, and and this is, (laughs) currently we live in a world that wants no absolutes. It wants everything to be fluid. That it should be up to you or your particular tribe or your particular location to determine what is best for you. And God says, don't do it. Listen to my word because I love you. 
Because in the very beginning of the creation, I put two trees in the garden. One was a tree of life and one was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. You were not capable of handling those decisions, yet you ate from that tree and you've had to live with the consequences ever since. You could have been with me from the beginning with everlasting life. The plan never changed. It never changed. God has been there protecting and providing for us from the very beginning. And our world doesn't want to know that there are some absolute lines that we need to draw for our benefit. They will argue tooth and nail and say, that's not bad for us. You're just intolerant. That's not the way it should be. That's very restrictive. There has to be some absolutes, and I'm telling you to look into the Word of God. Don't, don't take my word for it. Don't look at traditions either, okay? Because my mom grew up in a Grace Brethren church, and she didn't play cards, and she didn't dance, and she didn't go to the movies, because they said that was in Scripture too, Okay? You're going to have to look at the Word of God and find out where you're at in your belief in the promise and then how to live out that law, those rules, those absolutes, apply them inside of a gospel life. One that's centered on grace and truth. How do I take that promise and believe it in my heart and yet live out of a response to it? Jesus was the embodiment of that. One that uh, you need to understand. I didn't read Exodus 22.20. The New Living Version puts it this way. Anyone who sacrifices to any God other than the Lord must be destroyed. It's pretty strong language. That's what it would be like to apply justice. All right. So if you are looking to seek out justice for yourself or someone else, be very careful with that word. It's my only warning today. If you want to talk about it more, I'll be happy to talk about it. We want grace. Believe me. You want grace applied to your life and to those around you. You do not want justice. We don't even understand it. Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 to 25. So before coming, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. So we had a guardian to help us, right? That was what the Jews were able to follow. They were, they were in, in a custodian relationship with the law. It was there for their benefit and to help them continue to follow what God had prescribed for their life. They were locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. And so the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. And now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. There needed to be 
an appeasement, an atonement. There needed to be a way that, that grace could be now applied. And so the promise was that the seed was coming through Abram, that it would be here, and that you would be under this guardian and protected by the law for a period of time. And they understood these things. You understand why we're talking about this is because Galatia was full of Christians and Jews at the time. And the Jews said, you've got to follow our laws to believe in Jesus. And the Christians said, no, I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> the promise applied to all of them and the law applied to all of them as it was kept through Jesus. As it was applied to their lives through faith and in grace. Jesus was coming, the promised seed, singular, that special one that was coming, who is Jesus Christ. He would be the one that would be, and it's another big word, and I put it in the, in the text box for you on version, so you can go back and refresh your mind. The propitiation for our sin. He would be the one that would appease the wrath, the justice that needed to be covered over so that we could live at peace with God. Jesus was literally the atoning sacrifice for us. The gospel that we've been talking about all of these weeks boiled down to that. That this promise to Abram was delivered through the law to Jesus to fulfill it that you should be able to take the law and apply all of these things inside of your gospel life. You don't throw out any of it. <laughs> right? In another letter to a church, Paul says, because the common question was, well then why shouldn't we just sin all the more? Then grace would abound. Right? The more I sin, the more grace floods into our world. It's not quite how it works either. Because you're forgetting that God has already told you there's a way that seems right to man and there's a way that I have designed you that is beneficial. I've promised and I will keep my promises and I've given you the law so that you may understand how I've designed you and created you and what is best for you. And now Jesus shows up. This has all been leading up to the man that is going to bring grace and truth. Right? The promise and the law. Tying it all together on our behalf. Visualizing it. Helping us understand what it means to live in a world that is depraved. To be tempted by Satan to say, hey, turn that stone into a loaf of bread. You can do it if you're hungry. Use your powers for yourself. Get what you need. And Jesus said no. In those moments, He was tempted, just like we are every day, with how to live out the law under grace. And that perfect blend of grace and truth is found in following His words. His example 
to understand the grace that we now live in, the propitiation for our sins. It makes us aware of salvation and the gift that we've been given. The promise was given. The law was given. Propitiation was made. And it was all part of the plan. It all fits together from beginning to end. That we understand clearly what God had in mind from the beginning. And that He desired to have a relationship with us and take care of us, provide for us, protect us, all of those things. That, none of that has ever changed. And I'll end by summing it all up in the three verses that, that I think do it the best in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, that it's not from yourselves. You can't earn it. You can't manufacture it. It's not anything of our creation, but it's a gift of God. And a gift cannot be earned, or it's not a gift anymore, right? A gift cannot be earned. It has to be given and accepted with a gracious and thankful heart. Not by works, because we can't earn it. All we would do is brag about it. It's just how we are, right? For we are God's handiwork. We were created by God in the very beginning. We were promised. We were protected. And we've been saved by grace through faith because we were His handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. How do we integrate all of these things is right there. That we understand that by grace we've been saved. From the very beginning of time, God had the plan. He made the promise. He helped us understand it. He codified it. Helped us look at it and say, that stuff is pretty helpful to us if we follow it. We talked about there, and we're going to revisit it, but the biggest one right here in Galatia was circumcision, right? The Jews had been given circumcision as a sign that they were Jewish. And if you came to Christ, the Jews were saying, you've got to be circumcised. We know that to be true as a healthy practice today. They only knew it as a sign that they were a Jew then. But God had it right all along because He designed us. He promised it. He developed the law for our benefit. And then He said, I'm going to deliver you from its consequences. Even though you know you've sinned, I'm going to deliver you from the consequences and extend grace by faith if you believe. Not only that, I'm going to do one more thing. I'm not just going to give you grace and mercy. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve, right? Because you're my handiwork, I'm already going to lay out things for you to do. I'm going to bring people across your path that need to hear about me, that just need a smile or a hug, and you're going to be my witness. So how do we respond? This is what we get to do. 
That's why I say it all the time. Because if you truly believe that the promise existed from the beginning and that God loves you so much, He wants to protect you by the law and His absolutes and His understanding of how we're designed, and then He delivered us from the consequences even when we get it wrong, then you should be pretty excited to be involved in His plan. That every day I get to wake up and say, I've been saved by grace through faith. I don't even have to talk about it to get excited. And then I get to go out and do what He's already planned for my day. He's already taken care of it. I get to be a part of what God is doing in the world and that's been the plan all along. That we would have an opportunity to be engaged being His hands and His feet. By loving one another, by being the body of Christ, by being here and celebrating. Why do you think we allow so much coffee to be had and so much time of fellowship? And Because we, we need to like each other, folks. The world won't believe our message if we hate each other. If you come here and you leave with a, a frown on your face because all I've done is beat you up all day, that's not helping advance the gospel because the gospel is good news. And we get to be a part of it. And I am thankful for the opportunity to understand it in the way that Paul lays it out over and over again. To be able to read his words and be encouraged. So that question... <laughs> How do we balance our actions, our behavior, and the grace that's in our life? How does that all work out? You've got to figure that out. I can't tell you. That's legalism. You have to figure out, just like Abram did, that I believe God. I believe what he said is true and I'm going to live as a response to my belief, not try to earn his provision. It's a response to really understanding how much he loves you. We get to do it. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you have shown us already in this book. It's, it's so refreshing to revisit the foundation of our faith. To understand that you are at the core of everything we do throughout the day. That we get to live in a life that you have provided for in a way that you protect. Lord, thanks for that. Lord, I pray that you continue to draw us closer to you, that we would be able to love one another more wholly today than we had yesterday, that you would continue to guide us, direct us, open our eyes to see what you're doing around us. In Jesus' name, amen.